We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 658 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, September 18th, 2023. (laughs) What were you thinking when Denver Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson connected on that 50-yard Hail Mary touchdown bomb to receiver Brandon Johnson as time expired in the fourth quarter? Be honest, what was going on? through your mind? What thoughts, what words were crossing your mind? The shock, the horror, the anger that we were all feeling. But you know, in life, it's not always about how you get there, but that you get there. And where the commanders got to is a two and oh. For the first time since 2011, the NFL team of Washington, D.C., currently known as the Commanders, has begun a regular season 2-0. Now, is 2-0 some monumental achievement? No. (laughs) Should we hang a banner? Should we raise a flag? Should we erect a statue? Should we build a wire mannequin a la the Sean Taylor wire mannequin at FedEx Field in honor of this 2-0 start? No. But you know what? Two and O in these parts is rare. Two and O feels pretty darn good. And how the commanders got to two and O really was something. Hello and welcome to this Monday Commanders postgame show installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. area sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. This is the podcast that follows D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. This is a podcast on which I talk commanders on every show, no matter the time of year. Great to have you with us. The commanders, a 35-33 come from behind win At the Denver Broncos on Sunday, the Commanders, the Manders, they overcame a 21-3 second quarter deficit. The 18-point deficit 
that Washington overcame for this win, the team's largest deficit overcome in a road victory since the Jeff Rutledge game. If you are of a certain age, you remember the Jeff Rutledge game, November 4th, 1990, a 41-38 Redskins overtime win at the Detroit Lions in a game in which the Skins overcame a 35-14 third quarter deficit. Jeff Rutledge, who was the Skins' backup quarterback, came off the bench and went 30 of 42 for 363 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions, and had three carries for 13 yards and a touchdown. Now, also with this win for the Commanders at the Broncos on Sunday, it was Ron Rivera's 100th regular season win as an NFL head coach. A milestone victory for the Commanders head coach, Ron Rivera. And so guess who got a game ball for this win? Yeah. Ron. And guess who gave him the game ball? His boss, Commander's managing partner, Josh Harris. Here was the presentation in the victorious Commander's locker room on Sunday. That's two. That's two. That's two. And it's all on you guys, but there's one guy in here. He's got 100 wins. Whoa. One of only 50 coaches ever and one of only active coaches. Ron Rivera, man. Hey, thank you all for being part of this. It's really special just knowing that you guys all helped me get to where I am today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. There you go. Uh, Rod Rivera had been just 1-5 and five in games in weeks 2 and 3 as Washington head coach. Uh, make that 2-5 and five with the potential to get to 3-5, and five, depending on what happens this Sunday afternoon. The 2-0 Commanders home to the 1-1 Buffalo Bills this Sunday afternoon uh, at 1. Uh, the Bills coming off a 38-10 shredding of the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday afternoon. Uh, coming up on the show, in-depth reaction to and analysis of this Commanders win at the Broncos. Next segment, a deep dive on the performance. The wonderful, dare I say, franchise quarterback like performance by Sam Howell. Uh, I then will talk at length about an insane game <laughs> for the commander's defense, which was awful over the first quarter and a half, and then awesome the rest of the game. Uh, and I then will hit on a variety of other items from the game, including a tremendous performance by running back Brian Robinson Jr. And mixed in with all of this will be key comments from Rod Rivera and Sam Howell from their post-game press conferences on Sunday evening. Also on the show, the Orioles, they are headed back to the playoffs. I have a nice Orioles segment for you of them on Sunday afternoon, clinching their first postseason spot since 2016, and off the O's, uh, forging a uh, four-game split in their big four-game series with the American League wildcard-leading Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's lost the first two games, but then won the final two games, including a 5-4, 11-inning win on Sunday afternoon in a game in which the O's overcame a 3-1 eighth inning deficit. Uh, I have a national segment for you. They, over the weekend, lost two or three games at the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers, but the Nats did get a win on Sunday afternoon to snap a five-game losing streak, a 2-1, 11-inning win. Uh, and I will talk college football week three, including Maryland's 42-14 home win 
over Virginia on Friday night in a game in which the Terrapins overcame a 14-0 first quarter deficit and a game in which we had a surprising quarterback development for the Cavaliers. Uh, Also get into Virginia Tech's 35-16 loss at Rutgers on Saturday and more. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So much (laughs) feedback to this commander's win at the Broncos. Tweet from Danny Irishman. I really need to not open Twitter until the fourth quarter. I was volunteering to clean out every player's locker before halftime. I'm still not happy with the cheese man. We could have dropped a 40 spot if he could have pulled his head out. (laughs) But what an awesome comeback. It was an actual fun Manders game. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Danny. And yes, I will be addressing the commander's long snapper, Cameron Cheeseman, a.k.a. the Cheeseman. A tweet from Aaron Jones on Sam Howell. He's got a chance to be a legitimate starter in the NFL. Uh, thank you for that, Aaron. You know, Sam may already be a legitimate starter in the NFL. Tweet from Petty Sharp. Big time win on the road for a 23-year-old quarterback. Wins in the NFL are hard to come by, let alone road wins very promising. Uh, Thank you, Patty. Email from Rob G. Writes, Rob, in the immortal words of the Danny, we got ourselves a quarterback. (laughs) Al, I know that that's premature, but not too bad for a quarterback in his third game, especially being down by a ton. You're the best by far, Al. Well, thank you for that, Rob. I don't know about that, but I will take that. Uh, Email from Dr. George Verghese, writes the doctor, thank God we won, Al, to lose in overtime after a fluke play would have been heartbreaking but the team showed some heart on the road. Some observations. Sam played a lot better as the game went along, but he in the first half held onto the ball for too long, lacked anticipation on throws, and did 360 pirouettes <laughs> into sacks. So I hope that these things are things that will improve. Only his third game, but can you learn innate feel for the game? But he played great in the second half, so I can't complain too much. Well, thank you for the email, doctor. Uh, if what we are seeing right now is the worst that we'll see from Sam Howell. That's pretty good, right? Like, if this is the bottom, if this is the base, if this is the foundation, uh, not too bad. That would be good. And very good is the work of Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. George Verghese, he is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland provide excellent skin care. Whatever your dermatological needs may be, call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big fan of the Commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you are dealing with allergic reactions, if you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Hey, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers. And I mentioned Botox. New Botox is 25% off during this month of September. 
Call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you, but call 301-396-3401. You could also visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skin care, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, please consider following this podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of this podcast. The Commander's 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos on Sunday for the first 2-0 start to a regular season for Washington since 2011 featured Washington scoring at least 35 points in a regular season game for the first time since the 41. 16 win at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving 2020. Washington scoring at least 25 points in a game has been rare for years, let alone scoring at least 35 points in a game. It is too early in this season to state anything with absolute certainty, but I will say two things that I do now believe have an increased likelihood of being the case. A, the Eric Bienemy effect is real. The positive impact of Eric Bieniemy as commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator is looking more and more legitimate. And B, Sam Howell just may be a good NFL quarterback. Dare I say a franchise quarterback. Again, I'm not declaring either of these things right now. Still way too early in the season to declare such things. But how do you, as a Commanders fan right now, at this moment in time, not feel appreciably better, appreciably more optimistic, appreciably more bullish about Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell off what we saw on Sunday. Sam Howell, he was the commander's starting quarterback for this win at the Broncos. He in what was his third career NFL regular season start at what was a game that took place a day after his 23rd birthday was very good. Sam went 27 of 39 for 299 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He did take four sacks, including a sack strip for a fumble that the commanders recovered. He had two scrambles for 13 yards. This was Sam during his post-game press conference on Sunday evening on the Commanders overcoming a 21-3 second quarter deficit for this win. This is a resilient team, um, and the thing I'm proud of is we had each other's back on both sides of the ball. Um, and that's what good teams have to do to find a way to win. We knew there was a lot of football left. Um, obviously, we would have liked to come out and start a little better, um, but at the end of the day, we made the plays when we needed to make them, um, and that's what matters. Yes, it is. Sam Howell on Sunday played with poise. Sam Howell on Sunday mostly made good decisions. And Sam Howell on Sunday made big clutch plays. He had a key scramble and a big touchdown pass on a drive in the third quarter. This was the commander's seventh offensive drive, which was their first offensive drive of the second half. The drive resulted in Sam's third quarter 
first and 10, 30-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to receiver Terry McLaurin. Now, credit Terry, a great leaping catch while in between two Broncos defenders. But this throw was what you call a big-time throw by Sam. Pro Football Focus better give Sam credit for a big-time throw on that play. Uh, Awesome job by Sam on that pass. And also on the drive, the fourth snap of the drive on a third and 10 for the Commanders at their 43. Sam, a terrific 11-yard shotgun scramble on which he evaded multiple Broncos defenders for the first down. And the Commanders got five additional yards thanks to a defensive holding penalty by former Washington corner Fabian Moreau. Uh, here was head coach Rod Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday evening on what Sam Howell's touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin showed about Sam. It showed you he's, 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 he can be pinpoint accurate. You know, it really does. He's got a strong arm. And he can make those kind of throws. Um, but the biggest thing more than anything else he did was you could see him really just kind of time it out and, and get it out when it needed to be. Um, and that's something that, that as he continues to play, you'll see his timing get better and better. All right, Sam Howell on Sunday had a fourth down touchdown pass late in the second quarter. The commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in Sam's late second quarter, fourth and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to tight end Logan Thomas, who took a nasty helmet-to-helmet hit from safety Kareem Jackson, who was rightfully ejected from the game. Logan got knocked out of the game with a concussion. You hope like heck that Logan's doing all right, but the touchdown pass came on a really nice tight window throw by Sam Howell. Uh, Sam had a key red zone completion on the commander's ninth offensive drive, a six-play, 75-yard drive that resulted in running back Brian Robinson Jr.'s early fourth quarter two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run, the seventh snap of the drive, the second snap of the fourth quarter, first and 10 for the commanders at the Broncos 14. Sam, a 12-yard shotgun completion to tight end Cole Turner. Uh, Sam made a key completion under duress on the commander's 10th offensive drive, an eight-play, 64-yard drive that resulted in Brian Robinson's fourth quarter, second and two, 15-yard shotgun handoff run, the fifth snap of the drive, second and eight for the commanders at their 45. Sam, a 21-yard shotgun completion to Robinson on a screen. Now, Robinson was great on this play, generated 27 yards after the catch, but Sam made the completion despite taking a quarterback hit from edge defender Zach Allen. Uh, Sam made nice throws on the final drive of the first half. The commander's sixth offensive drive resulted in kicker Joey Sly's 49-yard field goal as time expired in the second quarter. Second snap of the drive, second and 10 for the commanders at their 23. Sam, a 14-yard shotgun completion to receiver Curtis Samuel. The sixth snap of the drive on a third and 13 for the commanders at their 34. Sam on a free play thanks to a defensive offside penalty that the commanders declined through a great pass for a 35-yard shotgun completion to tight end John Bates down the right sideline. Uh, Sam had a nice completion on the commander's first offensive drive. The opening drive of the game resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter missed 49-yard field goal attempt. The third snap of the drive, third and nine for the commanders at their 26. Sam had an 18-yard shotgun completion to receiver Jahan Dodson, who was wide open, but Sam on the play, standing strong in the pocket, delivering the throw while taking a hit from Zach Allen. And Sam had a nice completion on the commander's second offensive drive, which resulted in Joey Sly's late first quarter 44-yard field goal, the eighth snap of the drive on a second and 10 for the commanders at the Broncos 40. Sam had an 18-yard shotgun completion to Logan Thomas on a throw on which Sam took a hit from defensive lineman Jonathan Harris. Sam Howell over these first two games of this regular season for the commanders has displayed a real toughness in taking shot after shot 
uh, but still coming through. The bad from Sam. Well, he had two near interceptions. Did not have an actual pick, but he did have two near picks. Uh, had a near pick on that commander's second offensive drive, the one that resulted in Joey Sly's late first quarter 44-yard field goal, the 11th snap of the drive, the play right before the field goal, third and 13 for the commanders at the Broncos 25. Sam threw into the vicinity of three Broncos defenders on a shotgun completion that nearly resulted in an interception by inside linebacker Josie Jewell. Uh, Sam had multiple bad plays on the commander's fourth offensive drive, which resulted in a second quarter three and out first snap of the drive, first and 10 for the commanders at their 25, Sam, a near pick on a shotgun pass that was tipped by edge defender Randy Gregory, who leapt into the air and batted the ball, which was nearly intercepted. And the third snap of the drive, third and nine for the commanders at their 26, Sam was way off on a shotgun pass intended for receiver Terry McLaurin, who was open. Uh, Sam took four more sacks. So you're now looking at 10 sacks taken by Sam over two games in this regular season. As we have all come to know, sacks are not entirely on a quarterback, nor are sacks entirely on an offensive line. In looking, though, at the four sacks taken by Sam Howell in this win at the Broncos, I think on at least three of the sacks, there's something better that Sam legitimately could have done. Sam had a fumble on a sack strip on the commander's eighth offensive drive, which resulted in Joey Sly's missed 59-yard field goal attempt in the third quarter. Fourth snap of the drive, third and three for the commander's at the Broncos 24. Sam had this fumble on a sack strip by edge defender Jonathan Cooper. Uh, the ball was recovered by right tackle Andrew Wiley, who got beat by Cooper. That's a tough play. I'm, I'm not going to hammer Sam for that play, but ball security, we all know, is paramount. Got to hold on to the football. Sam did not do that there. Sam took a sack on the commander's first offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Joey Sly first quarter miss 49-yard field goal attempt. The eighth snap of the drive, third and five for the commanders at the Broncos 25. Sam got tackled from behind by Randy Gregory for a sack for a five-yard loss. This seemed to be mostly a covered sack, but again, you know, the clock's got to be ticking down in your head. If you haven't gotten rid of the ball yet, you got to be mindful of what's around you and either throw the ball away or take off on a scramble and secure the football. Uh, Sam took a sack on the commander's third offensive drive, resulted in an early second quarter three and out, third snap of the drive, second snap of the second quarter, third and eight for the commanders at their 27. Uh, Sam had Jahan Dodson open for a moment, but ended up taking a sack from Jonathan Cooper for a three-yard loss. This was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday evening on Sam Howell, and then you'll hear multiple follow-up exchanges with Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. Well, I thought he was pretty resilient. You know, there were a couple times that, you know, again, I still think, you know, he, he, he started doing it later and started throwing the ball away, you know, started sliding. So he's learning, and, and I think he's going to get better. I do. I, I just think that, you know, if we can continue to, to, to work and grow as, as, as units, um, we have a chance. How much did Hal's poise when you guys were down 18, did, does that affect the other guys at all? Yes, do you see it that? does. And, and, and when, when a guy can maintain that, that poise in front of his teammates, I think that really helps them. You know, and, and it's like he's very unflappable. And, and he really handled it very, very well. And I think his teammates feed off of it. Um, you know, it was exciting to see him do some of the things that he did today because um, those are things we're going to build off of. What do you learn from Hal in a game like this? What, what, what do you learn? Yeah. Well, I think you learn, first of all, uh, you take what's there early on. Um, you don't have to try and force everything vertical. Um, we have guys that can make some plays underneath. Um, I think those are some of the things that, that, that a young quarterback can learn. And, and, he's, you know, and he's also learning he's got the ability to, to push the ball downfield if he needs to.
Well, the two big concerns with Sam Howell right now are the sacks and the batted slash tipped passes. But those things are not all on him. Uh, although, you know, a good bit of them are on him. He's got to get better in those regards. But you know what? I think that he will. And if these are his biggest problems, his biggest deficiencies, three starts into his NFL regular season career, <laughs> that's not so bad. Sam Howell in this win at the Broncos overcame constant pressure. He overcame four offensive penalties by the commanders, including three by offensive linemen. He overcame his top tight end being knocked out of the game due to a concussion. He overcame a 21-3 second quarter deficit. He, in a big road win, went 27 of 39 for 299 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions, and had a clutch 11-yard scramble. Here's the truth. Sam Howell, in this win at the Broncos, played like a franchise quarterback. That's not to say that he is a franchise quarterback. That's not to say that he will become a franchise quarterback. But he, in this win at the Broncos, played like a franchise quarterback, and he's only getting started. Think about where he could be a month from now, two months from now. Might he be on fire by then? And speaking of fire, Nova Fireplace and Stove. Nova Fireplace and Stove is outstanding. It handles gas fireplace sales, service, and installation, handles gas, electric, and wood stoves, and handles chimney cleaning and repair. If you live in Northern Virginia, stay warm and upgrade the feel and value of your home with Nova Fireplace and Stove. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Nova Fireplace and Stove, it has been around for more than 20 years. It is run by massive Commanders fans, and it has outstanding professionals. Whatever the work that you need done requires, Nova Fireplace and Stove has. Master gas fitter, master electrician, class A contractor, licensed chimney inspector, and because of this, Nova Fireplace and Stove can complete your project without the need for any subcontractors, and Nova Fireplace and Stove can pull all of the necessary county permits for the work that is being done. Additionally, Nova Fireplace and Stove can perform fireplace and chimney safety inspections. See for yourself the work that Nova Fireplace and Stove can do. It has a showroom in Woodbridge, Virginia, and has a terrific website, NovaFireplaceandStove.com. And take advantage of the special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and receive $25 off any service or receive a free vent kit on any in-stock gas insert. Join the Nova Fireplace and Stove family and experience the fireplace service and care that you deserve. Call 571-513-3803. That's 571-513-3803. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you.
A thank you, a salute to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, We move now to the performance of the commander's defense in the 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos on Sunday to get to 2-0 in the regular season. Boy, where to start with the defense of the Manders? Uh, Well, let's establish this. The commander's defense was really bad over the first quarter and a half, but then was really good the rest of the game. That is the bottom line evaluation of the defense in this game. The commanders allowed the Broncos over their first three offensive drives to score three touchdowns, but the commanders over the rest of the game held the Broncos to just one touchdown and two field goals. Uh, The end of the game, of course, was crazy. The commanders on a first and 10 for the Broncos at the 50 with three seconds left in the fourth quarter gave up a miracle. 50-yard shotgun touchdown pass by quarterback Russell Wilson to receiver Brandon Johnson on a Hail Mary throw. Uh, This was unreal. The ball bounced and or was tipped three times before being grabbed by Johnson in the end zone away from safety Percy Butler. I think everyone listening knows that the idea when defending a Hail Mary pass is to bat the ball down, spike the ball like you would spike a ball in volleyball. That did not happen on this play, although I don't know to what extent this was because Commander's defensive players played the play wrong. This was a really bizarre play that took some extremely (laughs) unfortunate bounces from a Commander's perspective. This was head coach Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday evening on the Hail Mary. Well, I mean, we were in position. Unfortunately, the ball bounced the wrong way. You would love to have seen it go the other direction, but, it, you know, and, and, and kudos to one of their guys for being alert enough, and we just got to understand that we got to get in our box out positions a little bit better. So the Hail Mary touchdown cut the commander's lead to 35-33 with time having expired in the fourth quarter. But then on the Broncos' two-point conversion attempt, the commanders forced a shotgun play-action incompletion by Russell Wilson. His throw to receiver Cortland Sutton, well defended by corner Benjamin St. Juice. Now, I know that there has been talk of St. Juice having been guilty of defensive pass interference early in the play. The CBS telecast of the game talked about this, but it did not show this. So it's hard to gauge whether our guy, the Juice, uh, was guilty or not. But uh, the Juice came through on this play, a really big defensive play by Benjamin St. Juice. So many Commanders defensive players came through in this game. The Commanders finished the game with a whopping seven sacks and 14 quarterback hits. Ed's defender Montez Sweat, a second consecutive big game. He finished with one and a half sacks, three quarterback hits, and a tackle for loss. The Broncos' 10th offensive drive resulted in kicker Will Lutz's late fourth quarter 32-yard field goal to cut the Commanders' lead to 35-27. The 12th Snap of the drive on a first and goal for the Broncos at the one. Montez, a sack of Russell Wilson for a seven-yard loss. And then the 15th snap of the drive, third and goal at the four. Montez and fellow edge defender Chase Young combining for a huge sack of Russell Wilson for a 10-yard loss. The Broncos had a first and goal at the one. And yet the drive resulted in three 
as opposed to seven. Two big clutch sacks right there, one of which, yes, featured Chase Young. Uh, Chase in this game did make his 2023 regular season debut off having been inactive for the 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field in week one due to a neck injury that he suffered in the commander's preseason opening 17-15 win at the Cleveland Browns on August 11th and Chase on Sunday made an impact a big impact he finished with one and a half sacks two quarterback hits and to tackle for loss. The Broncos' eighth offensive drive, this one resulted in a Will Lutz third quarter 31-yard field goal. The eighth snap of the drive, the play right before the field goal. Third and two for the Broncos at the Commanders' 10. Chase Young, a sack of Russell Wilson for a three-yard loss. Chase tackled Wilson from behind, demonstrated great pursuit off pressure from interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen. Now, that Broncos drive that resulted in the Will Lutz late fourth quarter 32-yard field goal, that actually was a wild drive for Chase Young. He, prior to combining with Montez Sweat on the big sack, had two penalties. Eighth snap of the drive, second and 10 for the Broncos at the Commander's 29. Chase committed an unnecessary 12-yard roughing the passer penalty on a play that uh, had resulted in a five-yard reception by Broncos running back Javante Williams. The 13th snap of the drive and the first snap after the fourth quarter, two-minute warning, second and goal at the eight. Chase committed a four-yard neutral zone infraction penalty. But still, overall, a lot to like with Chase Young on Sunday. A very encouraging performance by Chase Young on Sunday. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday evening on Chase Young. It was great to see him out there. You know, <laughs> you know he's so doggone you know anxious, and and you know a couple times you look out and he's running out there when he's not supposed to, and and he's not listening. And he's just he wants to play so bad, and it was so good to see him play the way he did. You know, he started to get some rhythm going. He and um, he and Montez had a, had a, had a couple of real good uh, meet at the quarterback rushes that were really good to see. So I'm anxious to really watch the tape and get a chance to study him a little bit. Well, also very good for the commander's defense in this win at the Broncos. Interior defensive lineman Deron Payne, although he got hurt, and we'll just have to see how serious this is, but the Broncos drive that resulted in Will Lutz's late fourth quarter 32-yard field goal, the 11th snap of the drive on a third and one for the Broncos at the commander's three, Deron got hurt on a Russell Wilson two-yard quarterback sneak run. Uh, so again, we'll just see what comes of this injury situation with Duran. Uh, looked like uh, a leg or ankle injury that uh, Duran may have suffered. But man, was he good in this game. Duran finished with a sack, three quarterback hits, two tackles for loss, a team high, five solo tackles, and a pass defense. He has picked up right where he left off last season. Uh, Duran Payne, in fact, had two drives worthy <laughs> of being called Duran Payne drives. I have christened these drives the Duran Payne Drive and the Duran Payne Drive Part 2. Uh, the Broncos' sixth offensive drive was the Duran Payne Drive. Uh, this was the opening drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter three and out. First snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Broncos at their 25. Duran Payne blew through right tackle Mike McGlinchey for a sack of Russell Wilson for a nine-yard loss, despite McGlinchey being guilty of an offensive holding penalty that the Commanders declined. Second snap of the drive, second and 19 for the Broncos at their 16. Duran, 
and Montez Sweat combined to tackle Javante Williams for a two-yard loss on a shotgun handoff run. Third snap of the drive on a third and 21 for the Broncos at their 14. Duran had a pass defense on a shotgun incompletion by Russell Wilson. So that was the Duran Payne drive. And then the Broncos' ninth offensive drive, which resulted in a fourth-quarter punt. This was Duran Payne drive number two. Uh, second snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Broncos at their 30. Duran tackled Javante Williams for a one-yard gain on an I-formation handoff run. Third snap of the drive on a second and nine for the Broncos at their 31. Duran had a quarterback hit on a Russell Wilson shotgun incompletion. The fourth snap of the drive, third and nine for the Broncos at their 31. Pressure generated by Duran on Wilson led to a quarterback hit by linebacker Cody Barton on a shotgun throwaway incompletion. Awesome stuff. Uh, from Deron Payne. Additionally, the commanders in this win at the Broncos generated two takeaways. The Broncos' fourth offensive drive happened in the second quarter. The third snap of the drive on a second and 15 for the Broncos at the commanders' 45. Another commanders defensive player who had a good game on Sunday, linebacker Jamin Davis. Great pursuit on a sack strip of Russell Wilson. The ball was recovered by Cody Barton. Uh, now, <laughs> Jamin on the play did perhaps get away with a face mask penalty, but whatever. Uh, ultimately, officially, he gets a sack strip on that play. And the Broncos' seventh offensive drive, the fifth snap of the drive on a third quarter, third and 10 for the Broncos at their 36 corner. Emmanuel Forbes Jr., a leaping and twisting interception of a shotgun pass by Russell Wilson. Now, you know, this was an awkward looking catch. Uh, this had to be reviewed in terms of was an actual catch by Forbes made. Forbes did uh, then fumble the ball out of bounds. But look, he was drafted to generate takeaways, right? That was a big reason for the commander spending the number 16 overall pick in the 2023 NFL draft on Forbes. And uh, he came through with a big takeaway right there. Here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday evening on the commander's two takeaways. Well, I think the biggest thing, much anything else, and we talked about it, with our guys this week and that was about takeaways you know it, it's one of those things that you know we gained momentum last week when we got the takeaways we gained momentum when we got the takeaways this week and I think that's one of the things that our guys have to understand you know that we are opportunistic we just have to make sure that we can create them earlier that way we don't have to be as, a, as much of a struggle Yes, uh, less of a struggle would be nice as uh, all of this good stuff by the commander's defense happened after a horrendous start by the commander's defense, which was really bad over the Broncos' first three offensive drives. Uh, the Broncos' first offensive drive, a seven-play, 61-yard drive that resulted in running back Jaleel McLaughlin's first quarter, second and two, five-yard I-formation toss run on which he ran into the end zone untouched. The Broncos on this drive totaled five carries for 51 yards, including a third and two 14-yard shotgun read option run by Russell Wilson on which Montez Sweat got fooled badly. Uh, the Broncos' second offensive drive consisted of just two snaps. First snap of the drive, Jamin Davis, a late first quarter, first and 10, 15-yard roughing the passer penalty for slapping Russell Wilson right across the face mask. The second snap of the drive, the commanders gave up a first and 10, 60-yard under center play action touchdown bomb from Wilson to receiver Marvin Mims Jr., who was wide open downfield. And the Broncos' third offensive drive resulted in Russell Wilson's second quarter, second and six, 16-yard 
shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Brandon Johnson, who ran right by Cody Barton across the middle and getting open. And a third snap of the drive, third and four for the Broncos at their 16. Emmanuel Forbes Jr. got beat by Marvin Mims Jr. on a 53-yard shotgun completion by Russell Wilson to Mims down the left sideline. So all of that from the commander's defense was really bad. But the rest of the game for the commander's defense, quite good. Also quite good, underdog fantasy. Uh, I am proud to be partnering with Underdog Fantasy. Uh, I, for this season, am making fantasy football picks for Commander's Games in terms of Underdog Fantasy's higher, lower totals. Uh, Underdog Fantasy is great. It is the best and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Check out UnderdogFantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Uh, Underdog Fantasy offers pick'em games by which you can win up to 20 times on your money in one day and offers pick'em insurance, which gives you a little wiggle room if you're not as confident in an entry. And when it comes to season-long fantasy, Underdog Fantasy offers a zero-stress scenario of no waivers, no trades, even no lineup setting. We all know that playing fantasy sports can be ultra-time-consuming. Well, Underdog Fantasy removes the time consumption, but keeps the fun and the potential to win money. And Underdog Fantasy is offering something special for listeners of this podcast. If you sign up now with the promo code GALDI, my last name, G-A-L-D-I, GALDI, Underdog Fantasy will double your first deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of at least $10. So in other words, if you deposit $100, you get $100 for free. Free money. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code GALDI. Check out underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app and use the promo code GALDI. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and must be present in a state in which Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit ncpgambling.org. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. And in Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. More now on the Commanders' 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos on Sunday to get to 2-0 in the 2023 NFL regular season. The Commanders in this game overcoming a 21-3 second quarter deficit thanks in no small part to running back Brian Robinson Jr. A tremendous game for Robinson. You know, he had a post-training camp practice press conference on July 28th said regarding his 2022 rookie season, quote, not one time I felt like Brian Robinson End quote. Robinson in the 2022 regular season played in just 12 of the Commander's 17 games. He missed each of the team's first four games due to being on the reserve slash non-football injury or illness list. He was on that because uh, he had been shot multiple times in an incident in Washington, D.C. on August 28, 2022, and he then was inactive for the win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field at Week 18 due to a knee injury. And so it was great to see Robinson do as he did at the Broncos on Sunday. He had 18 carries for 87 yards and two fourth quarter touchdowns. And he had two receptions for 42 yards on three targets. You know that talk about Robinson being more of a weapon in the passing game with 
Eric Bieniemy now, the commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. Yeah, I'd say that we saw signs of that uh, on Sunday. So many big runs by Robinson in this game. He had a massive run and a go-ahead touchdown run on the same drive. Uh, This was the commander's ninth offensive drive, a six-play, 75-yard drive that resulted in his early fourth quarter two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. But the fourth snap of that drive and the next to last snap of the third quarter, first and 10 for the commanders at their 27, Robinson, a 27-yard under center handoff run. Uh, Robinson's second touchdown run of the fourth quarter was great. Uh, came shortly after a big reception by Robinson. The commander's 10th offensive drive, an eight-play, 64-yard drive that resulted in Robinson's fourth quarter second and two 15-yard shotgun handoff run and the fifth snap of the drive on a second and eight for the commanders at their 45 quarterback Sam Howell, a 21-yard shotgun completion to Robinson on a screen on which Robinson generated 27 yards after the catch. Uh, Robinson came through on a two-point run. You see, after Sam Howell's late second quarter, fourth and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to tight end Logan Thomas had a one-yard shotgun handoff run. There are all kinds of traffic to cut the commander's deficit to 21 11. He was initially ruled short, but then the uh, initial ruling was overturned via replay review. Uh, Robinson had a big run on the commander's seventh offensive drive, which resulted in Sam Howell's third quarter, first and 10, 30-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to receiver Terry McLaurin. The fifth snap of the drive, the play right before the touchdown on a first and 10 for the commanders at the Broncos 41, Robinson and 11-yard Shotgun handoff run. Uh, Robinson, a big run on the commander's eighth offensive drive, which resulted in kicker Joey Sly's missed 59-yard field goal attempt in the third quarter. The first snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the commanders at the Broncos 44. Robinson had a 13-yard Shotgun handoff run. Robinson had two key runs on the commander's second offensive drive, which resulted in Joey Sly's late first quarter 44-yard field goal. The second snap of that drive, second and one for the commanders at their 34. Robinson, a five-yard shotgun handoff run. The fourth snap of the drive on a second and two for the commanders at their 47. Robinson, a three-yard shotgun read option run. And Robinson had a great reception on the commander's first offensive drive. Uh, This was the opening drive of the game, resulted in Joey Sly's first quarter miss. 49-yard field goal attempt, the fifth snap of the drive on a second and five for the commanders at their 49, Sam Howell, a 21-yard shotgun completion to Robinson on a screen on which he gained 27 yards after the catch. You know, the Broncos in their 17-16 home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders in week one did a very good job on Raiders running back Josh Jacobs, held them to just 48 yards on 19 carries. Well, no such success for the Broncos defense against Brian Robinson Jr. He was head coach Rod Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday evening on Brian Robinson Jr. There was a couple things on the sideline that, you know, he was he was a little low and uh you know he 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 got it going again and once he got it rolling that's 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 what the young man's capable of um and and i think you know this this is this is indicative of what he can be this this was balance as far as our offense was concerned it's it's the stuff that eb talks about all the time we actually you know we when we meet we talk about you know what 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 he anticipates what he wants to do one thing he talked about was balance and we saw that today the ability to run the ball the ability to throw the ball use the screen game, you know, use, run the ball inside, run the ball outside. We did some things that were really good for us and and we can grow from these things.
Also, a salute to running back Antonio Gibson for two big plays by him in this win at the Broncos. Gibson had two carries for nine yards and three receptions for 44 yards on three targets. Gibson actually had the longest reception of the game for the Commanders. The Commanders' ninth offensive drive, a six-play, 75-yard drive that resulted in Brian Robinson's early fourth quarter two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. The sixth snap of the drive, the first snap of the fourth quarter, on a second and 14 at the 50. Sam Howell, a 36-yard shotgun completion to Gibson on a screen on which he had 42 yards after the catch. So Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson in this game combined for five receptions for 86 yards on six targets. Name me the last time that Washington had that kind of pass-catching production from multiple running backs in a single game. This is the Eric Bieniemy effect. I love seeing this on Sunday. Uh, also, the commander's 10th offensive drive, the one that resulted in Robinson's fourth quarter, second and two, 15-yard shotgun handoff run, the seventh snap of that drive on a second and six for the commanders at the Broncos 30, Gibson a seven-yard under center handoff run. A nice bounce back performance by Antonio Gibson off him having the uh, second quarter red zone lost fumble in the 2016 win over the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field in week one. Uh, We shall see what the advanced stats tell us about the performance of the commander's offensive line in this win at the Broncos. The line certainly deserves credit for blocking for Robinson and Gibson in route to those guys producing as they did. But commander's offensive linemen on Sunday committed three penalties. Uh, Not good. The commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in Sam Howell's late second quarter, fourth and goal, four-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Logan Thomas. The first snap of that drive on a first and 10 for the commanders at the Broncos 49, right guard Samuel Cosme committed a 10-yard offensive holding penalty. The commander's sixth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's 49-yard field goal as time expired in the second quarter. The fourth snap of the drive on a second and six for the commanders at their 41. Left tackle Charles Leno Jr. committed a 10-yard offensive holding penalty, negating a 19-yard shotgun scramble by Sam Howell. And the commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in Sam Howell's third quarter first and 10 30-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. The second snap of the drive on a second and five for the Commanders at their 48. Center Nick Gates committed a five-yard false start penalty. Uh, Three penalties by offensive linemen. Uh, Way too many. Uh, And Commander special teams in this win at the Broncos. Uh, Yes, the cheese man remains a concern. So Joey Sly in this game, two of four on field goals, three of three on extra points. Sly missed a first quarter 49-yard field goal attempt, which was absurdly wide right of a bad snap by Cameron Cheeseman. This was a third bad snap by Cheeseman on a field goal attempt over the commander's first two games of this regular season. I would not be surprised if he gets cut in the coming days. We'll see. Uh, Sly connected on a late first quarter 44-yard field goal, connected on a 49-yard field goal as time expired in the second quarter, but missed a third quarter 59-yard field goal attempt. So all four of Joey Sly's attempts were 40-plus yard attempts. Uh, The Commanders on Sunday also gave up a big punt return. Uh, Punter Tressway over three punts averaged 56 yards per punt, but just 41 net yards per punt as the Commanders gave up a second quarter 45-yard punt return by receiver Marvin Mims Jr. Uh, Receiver Jamison Crowder was the commander's punt returner. He over two punt returns averaged 4.5 yards per return. 
Hey, are you thinking about going to a Commander's game off their 2 window start? Uh, if you are looking for great deals on tickets to Commander's games, make sure that you download the GameTime app and use the promo code Al Galdi. When it comes to buying tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the GameTime app. GameTime offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best price guarantee. So you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. The GameTime guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. And if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. What's also great about GameTime is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. Uh, I was just on GameTime looking at tickets for Commander's Games in the 2023 regular season. A lot of good deals, and the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting super easy. GameTime is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country. GameTime is the app for last-minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. GameTime also offers flash deals on tickets, and tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with GameTime, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the GameTime app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi, for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. <laughs> Download the game time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Well, if you are a combo Commanders Orioles fan, as I know so many of you are, Sunday was someday. We had the Manders overcoming a 21-3 second quarter deficit in a 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos. And we had the O's clinching a playoff spot for the first time since 2016. The Texas Rangers 9-2 loss at the Cleveland Guardians on Sunday afternoon clinched the O's making the playoffs for the first time in seven seasons. The O's from 2017 through 2021 had five consecutive losing regular seasons, including losing at least 108 games in each of the 2018, 2019, and 2021 regular seasons. Uh, what happened on Sunday, the O's clinching a playoff spot. Yes, had been expected, but still a tremendous achievement, a tremendous moment given where this franchise was. Enough cannot be said about the job that O's executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias has done in rebuilding this team. And enough cannot be said about the job that the O's did in ultimately working a four-game split in their big four-game series with the American League wildcard-leading Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Thursday night, a 4-3 loss. Friday night, a 7-1 loss in a game for which we had a sellout at Camden Yards. The official attendance was 43,359. The loss was the Orioles' fourth consecutive loss and moved them into a virtual tie with the Rays for first place in the American League and for first place in 
the American League East. Also, the O's prior to the game signed outfielder Adam Jones to a one-day ceremonial contract, allowing him to retire as an Oriole. So a very disappointing loss given the circumstances. But then came the rest of the series. Saturday night, an 8-0 win in a game for which the official attendance was 38,432. And Sunday afternoon, a 5-4, 11-inning win in a game for which the official attendance was 37,297. And a game in which the O's overcame a 3-1, 8-inning deficit. And a game that had the O's back, Joe Angel, in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That's right, Joe. The O's back in the win column and back in the postseason. So the O's for this 2023 regular season now are in American League best 93 and 56. Two games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. And the Orioles elimination number, their magic number to clinch the AL East is down to 11. The Rays, by the way, also have clinched a playoff spot. Uh, let's be honest now. The <laughs> Orioles offense in this four-game split with the Rays was really bad in three of the four games. The only game in which the Orioles offense was good in this series was the 8 nothing win on Saturday night. The O's in that game scored eight runs, totaled 11 hits, worked three walks, did strike out nine times, but went six for 11 with runners in scoring position. The 11 hits were comprised of one home run and 10 singles. Uh, the O's on Saturday night very much got to the Rays starting pitcher in that game, Tyler Glass now. He allowed six runs in four innings. And Gunnar Henderson on Saturday night put on a show. Uh, he is the Orioles starting shortstop and number one batter. Three for five with a two-run homer, an RBI single, and another single. Henderson in an Orioles three-run second smashed a two-out first pitch, a two-run homer to center field for a 4 nothing Orioles lead. The homer would have projected 428 feet for StatCast. And Henderson had a very nice defensive play. He in the top of the fifth with runners on first and second, two outs, and the O's holding a 6 nothing lead made a terrific backhanded catch of a grounder while moving toward third base and then fired a one-hop throw across his body to get the out at first base for a ground out by Rene Pinto. And uh, credit to first baseman Ryan O'Hearn, who made a great underhanded catch of Henderson's one-hop throw. But yeah, the O's in the other three games in this series did not hit well. Uh, the O's over games one, two, and four of the series struck out a whopping 40 times. However, uh, the O's in their 5-4, 11-inning win over the Rays on Sunday afternoon rallied, uh, overcame a 3-1, eighth-inning deficit. Adley Rutschman, as the Orioles' starting DH and number two batter, went three for five with a solo homer, a double, and an RBI single. He ended Orioles' one-run eighth, had a two-out solo homer to right center field to cut the Orioles' deficit to 3-2, despite having been down in a count of 1.12. The homer would have projected 401 feet per stat cast. And Rutschman, in the Orioles' one-run tenth, a two-out RBI single up the middle to tie the game at four. And Adam Frazier, he is the Orioles' starting second baseman at number seven batter, two for four with an RBI double and a single. Frazier and an Orioles one run ninth, a game tying two out opposite field RBI double down the left field line on a one two pitch to tie the game at three. And then center fielder Cedric Mullins had a walk off one out RBI sack fly 
in the bottom of the 11th. Uh, while we're talking Orioles offense, good to see Heston Kerstad homer on Friday night. The O's this past Thursday afternoon announced a flurry of roster moves, including having selected the contract of outfielder Heston Kerstad from AAA Norfolk. The O's took him with the number two overall pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Arkansas. And Kerstad in the 7-1 loss on Friday night as the Orioles starting DH and number seven batter homered. Uh, he went one for two with a solo homer. He had an Orioles one-run six, had a leadoff homer to right field to cut the Orioles' deficit to 7-1. Uh, the homer would have projected 418 feet per stat cast and was his first major league regular season hit. Uh, This was a mixed series for the Orioles in terms of starting pitching, but the starting pitching was at least decent in the Orioles' two wins. Uh, The 5-4, 11-inning win over the Rays on Sunday afternoon. Dean Kramer only lasted for five innings, but he allowed one run in five innings with five strikeouts. Uh, He gave up just two hits, a solo homer and a single. He issued two walks. He threw 86 pitches, 54 strikes versus 32 balls. But the highlight of the series was Grayson Rodriguez in the 8-0 win on Saturday night in arguably the most important game for the O's so far in this regular season. Gray Rod was outstanding. He tossed eight scoreless innings with seven strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just five hits, a double and four singles. He threw a ton of strikes, 95 pitches, 72 strikes versus 23 balls. His velocity, again, very good. He burst at cast, had an average four-seam fastball velocity of 97.5 miles per hour. Grayson Rodriguez became the first Orioles rookie to throw at least eight shutout innings in a regular season game since Zach Britton in May 2011. I tell you, this ascension of Gray Rod has been awesome. He now, over his last 10 starts, has an ERA of 2.21. The O's took him with the number 11 overall pick in the 2018 MLB draft out of a high school in Texas, and he is blossoming into the ace he was drafted to be. Uh, it was disappointing to see Jack Flaherty have problems once again. Flaherty in the 7-1 loss on Friday night allowed three runs in four innings. Now, he did have six strikeouts versus one walk, did throw a lot of strikes, 79 pitches, 51 strikes versus just 28 balls, but he gave up six hits, a solo homer, two doubles, and three singles. And here's the bottom line. Jack Flaherty now, over his last six starts, has an ERA of 8.42. Not what the O's had in mind when they, on August 1st, minutes before the 2023 MLB trade deadline at 6 p.m. Eastern on that day, acquired Flaherty from the St. Louis Cardinals for three prospects. Uh, the Orioles' bullpen in this four-game split with the Rays was mixed. Uh, the 5-4, 11-inning win on Sunday afternoon. Six Orioles relievers combined to allow three runs, two earned in six innings. Jorge Lopez allowed two runs in one and a third innings. He, in the top of the eighth, gave up back-to-back one-out solo homers. But D.L. Hall tossed a perfect top of the 11th, although Hall had problems in the 7-1 loss on Friday night. He would end up being a four-run six for the Rays, faced three batters and gave up three hits, two doubles, and a bunt single. He was charged with three runs without recording it out, but also in that game, Brian Baker. Uh, He officially allowed one run in three innings, but he, on the first pitch that he threw, gave up a pinch three-run home run 
by Harold Ramirez to left center field for a 7-0 Rays lead in that Rays 4-run 6. The homer winner projected 419 feet per stat cast. The O's last Thursday afternoon had recalled Baker from AAA Norfolk, and the O's on Saturday afternoon announced having optioned Baker back to Norfolk and having recalled Mike Bauman from Norfolk. Bauman in the 8-0 win on Saturday night tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. The O's headed back to the postseason. Oh, there are concerns with this team, especially the uh, bullpen as it continues to go without the ace reliever, Felix Batista, due to his right UCL injury. But geez, if you are an O's fan, how are you not thrilled with what this team has done this season and where this team now is headed, the MLB playoffs. Next up for the O's, a seven-game road trip, beginning with a three-game series at the American League West-leading Houston Astros. Game one, Monday night at 8-10. John Means will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 8-10. Game three, Wednesday afternoon at 2-10. The Orioles' starting pitchers for games two and three are to be announced. And something else to keep in mind, first baseman Ryan Mountcastle did not play in any of the four games against the Rays due to left shoulder discomfort. So hopefully he'll be back for this series at the Astros. Well, the Orioles on Sunday afternoon had an 11-inning win in which they scored the game-winning run on a one-out RBI sack fly in the 11th, and so did the Nationals. Uh, They snapped a five-game losing streak with a 2-1, 11-inning win at the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers. This off losses in games one and two of the series. Friday night, a 5-3 loss in a game in which the Nats blew a 3-0 fifth-inning lead. Saturday night, a 9-5 loss in a game in which the Nats overcame a 5-1 Six-inning deficit, but the Nats, the boys, uh, (laughs) they got the win on Sunday afternoon, just their fifth win over their last 20 games. I'm proud of the boys. That is correct. Uh, Nats manager, Davey Martinez, he and the boys, uh, they snapped a five-game losing streak. They now, for this regular season, are 66-84. and uh, That is the second-worst record in the National League. The Nats, in this 2-1, 11-inning win at the Brewers on Sunday afternoon, scored just two runs, went just 4-for-34 overall, uh, worked four walks, went 0-for-9 with runners in scoring position, and yet won the game. A designated hitter, Joey Manessis, a one-out RB sack fly in the top of the 11th for a 2-1 Nats lead. The story of this game really was the Nats pitching. Uh, The Nats starting pitcher, Patrick Corbin, was good for a second consecutive start. He allowed one run in six innings. He gave up just four hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks, recorded two strikeouts through 88 pitches, uh, just 47 strikes versus 41 balls, but still one run in six innings is terrific. And the Nats bullpen on Sunday afternoon was terrific. Three Nats relievers combined for five scoreless innings. Hunter Harvey, two perfect innings with two strikeouts. Kyle Finnegan, a scoreless spot of the ninth, despite giving up an infield single and issuing a walk. And Robert Garcia, two scoreless innings. The Nats bullpen overall did have a mixed series. The 9-5 loss on Saturday night, five Nats relievers combined to allow six runs in six innings. Amos Willingham faced eight batters, but got just three outs. He gave up a solo homer, a double and a single, and issued two walks. The Nats on Sunday afternoon announced having optioned Willingham to AAA Rochester and uh, having recalled Corey Abbott from Rochester. Uh, But Kyle Finnegan on Saturday night, he pitched for the first time in seven days, and things did not go well. Uh, He allowed 
four runs in two-thirds of an inning. He came into the game in the bottom of the eighth with one out, the bases empty, and the game tied at five. He gave up a one-out double by the Brewers' number nine batter, Tyrone Taylor, to left field. Finnegan gave up a one-out full count opposite field, infield single by Sal Freelake on a grounder, on which shortstop C.J. Abrams did make a nice diving catch in shallow left field. But Finnegan then issued a two-out walk at Carlos Santana, and then came the big blow, Finnegan giving up a two-out first pitch grand slam by Mark Canna to left field for a 9-5 Brewers lead. The homer winner projected 411 feet per stat cast and was the Nats' major league worst 87th relief pitching home run allowed in this regular season. Nats relievers giving up home runs a big problem this season. The 5-3 loss on Friday night, four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three and a third innings with four strikeouts, but the one run came on a home run. Hunter Harvey in the bottom of the eighth gave up a leadoff homer by Carlos Santana to right field for a 5-3 Brewers lead. That homer went a projected 404 feet per stat cast. Uh, the start by Patrick Corbin on Sunday afternoon was easily the best outing by a Nats starting pitcher in this series. The 9-5 loss on Saturday night Trevor Williams, a third consecutive terrible start. He lasted for just two innings. He allowed three runs in two innings. Could have given up a lot more than just three runs. He gave up five hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks. He recorded one strikeout. He, over his mere two innings, threw 70 pitches, 40 strikes versus 30 balls. Uh, What has happened with Williams this season really is something. First 11 starts of this regular season, ERA of 393, uh, perfectly acceptable. But Williams now over his last 18 starts, an ERA of 659. The Nats' worst starting pitcher this season has not been Patrick Corbin. That person has been Trevor Williams. Uh, In the 5-3 loss on Friday night, Jake Irvin, uh, he allowed four runs in four and two-thirds innings. Now, he gave up just three hits, but they consisted of two home runs and a single. He did issue a whopping five walks, although he did also record six strikeouts. But he, over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 102 pitches, 58 strikes, versus 44 balls. He actually threw four and two-thirds scoreless innings, but then gave up back-to-back home runs to the final two batters he faced. He had a four-run Brewers fifth, gave up a two-out first pitch, three-run homer by William Contreras on a bomb to left center field to tie the game at three, and then gave up a two-out full count solo homer by Carlos Santana to right field for a 4-3 Brewers lead. Uh, That homer by Contreras when it projected 456 feet per stat cast. Uh, there was not a ton to the Nats offense in losing two or three games at the Brewers over the weekend, but a bright spot over the last two games was Luis Garcia. The Nats on September 8th announced that they had recalled Garcia from AAA Rochester, to which he had been demoted on August 2nd for both performance and work ethic reasons. He had not done much since being brought back up to the majors, but he homered in each of the final two games of the series. So these were his only two starts in the series. The 9-5 loss on Saturday night, Garcia as the Nats starting second baseman and number seven batter, two for three with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Uh, Garcia in the Nats, one run third, a leadoff homer to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1. The homer winner projected 408 feet per stat cast, and the walk that he drew was key. Garcia in the Nats' 
three-run sixth, a two-out bases-loaded walk to cut the Nats' deficit to 5-4 despite having been down in the count at one point, 1-2, as uh, he was called for an automatic strike to begin his plate appearance. And the 2-1 11-inning win on Sunday afternoon, Garcia as the Nats' starting second baseman and number six batter, two for four with a solo homer, a single, and a stolen base. He and the Nats' one-run second had a two-out opposite field solo homer to left center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 1-0 Nats lead. Next up for the Nats, a seven-game homestand beginning with a three-game series against the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park. Game one, Monday night at 7.05, Joanna Doan will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.05, Jackson Rutledge will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 1.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And time now to talk college football week three. Uh, It was a week that featured deja vu all over again for Maryland and Virginia in a game against each other. Uh, Maryland improved to 3-0 with a 42-14 win over Virginia at CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland on Friday night. As UVA fell to 0-3, the Terrapins for a second consecutive game had to overcome a 14-0 first quarter deficit to win. The Cavaliers for a second consecutive game blew a double-digit lead. Uh, the Terps overcame a 14-0 first-quarter deficit, scored 42 unanswered points in what ended up being the Terps' biggest win over Virginia since a 42-10 win in November 1986. Uh, Maryland and Virginia, of course, two former ACC rivals, uh, they, in playing this game on Friday night, played against each other for the first time since 2013. Uh, We also in this game had the Terps debuting their new script, Terps black helmets and uniforms, which I thought looked good. Uh, So what happened in this game was crazy. The Terps allowed Virginia over its first two offensive drives to total 10 plays for 128 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, The Terps for a second consecutive game were down 14-0 in the first quarter, but they in their 38-20 win over Charlotte in College Park on September 9th overcame being down 14-0 at the end of the first quarter, scored 38 unanswered points before a meaningless late fourth quarter touchdown by Charlotte. And the Terps in this win over Virginia in College Park on Friday night scored 42 unanswered points. The Terps' comeback began with a first quarter 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by true freshman receiver Braden Wislowski, uh, who in high school in Pennsylvania was a 100-meter state champion in track and field. Uh, Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, very good game, completed a number of big passes. He went 19-30 for 300 42 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. Uh, He took just one sack. He averaged an outstanding 11.4 yards per pass attempt uh, and an outstanding 18 yards per completion. Talia had a third quarter, first and 10, 64-yard shotgun play action sprint out touchdown pass to receiver Jayshon Jones, who was wide open and running down the right side. Jones finished with five receptions for 96 yards and a touchdown on eight targets. Uh, the Terps' rushing offense was good. Terps running backs Colby McDonald, Antoine Littleton II, and Roman Hemby combined for 28 carries for 126 yards and four touchdowns, averaging 4.5 yards per carry. And the Terps' defense, it got off to a terrible start, but then was really good. Uh, the Terps allowed Virginia over its first two offensive drives to total 10 plays for 128 yards and two touchdowns. But the Terps, in shutting out Virginia over the course of the rest of the game, held the Cavs to just 226 total net yards of offense over 59 plays. That works out 
to a yards per play of just 3.83. The Terps generated four takeaways in the fourth quarter, three interceptions and a fumble recovery on a sack strip. Two of the interceptions were by defensive back Tarheeb Still, and the Terps did as they did on defense, despite being without their best defensive back, Bo Braid, uh, who shortly before the game was announced as being out for the game and a surprise. So if you are a Maryland fan like me, I went to Maryland, uh, you love the ability for the team to erupt as it has these last two games in turning 14-0 first quarter deficits into blowout wins. But why is the team getting off to such horrendous starts? Uh, this was Terps head coach Mike Loxley during his post-game press conference on Friday night on what he told his team at the half prior to a second half in which the Terps outscored Virginia 28 nothing. I mean, we go in and it's 0-0 zero, because zero, it's 14-14. And, you know, we, we, our standard is we don't watch the scoreboard. And I, and I, even myself, I try not to ever look up to, to even know what the score is because it really doesn't matter until it's the end of it. And uh, at halftime, the big thing for us was it was still Terps versus Terps. I mean, we, we, we blow a coverage again on the flea flicker. Uh, on offense, we come in and we're not – we're not in rhythm, you know, and, that, and that's where I said there's some things that I can do uh, better to get us in rhythm on offense because we've tradition, traditionally we've been a fast start offense, and for whatever reason these last two games we haven't been. And uh, I, I, there's some things we'll get done this week to try to uh, figure out a way to get us playing f- uh, better in the first quarter, especially on offense. Yeah, that certainly is needed. Uh, Next up for Maryland, it's Big Ten opener at Michigan State this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. As for what happened in College Park on Friday night from a Virginia perspective. So indications from UVA head coach Tony Elliott and UVA offensive coordinator and tight ends coach Des Kitchings in the days leading up to the game were that the Monmouth transfer, Tony Musket, would be the Cavs starting quarterback in returning from a one-game absence caused by an injured left shoulder that he suffered in the Cavs season an opener, a 49-13 loss to then number 12 Tennessee at Nissan Stadium in Nashville on September 2nd. But the Cavs instead went with true freshman Anthony Calandria as their starting quarterback for a second consecutive game. Calandria began the game on fire. Uh, As I've said, the Cavs over the first two offensive drives totaled 10 plays for 128 yards and two touchdowns. Calandria over those two drives, five of five for 109 yards and a touchdown. His first pass attempt of the game was a first quarter, first and 10, 49-yard under center completion on a flea flicker to receiver and Northwestern transfer Malik Washington, who was wide open downfield. Washington for the game, nine receptions for 141 yards on 13 targets. But Calandria over the rest of the game, went just 18 of 34 for just 154 yards, no touchdowns, and three interceptions, and took three sacks, including a sack strip loss fumble. He, in the fourth quarter, committed all four of his turnovers, three interceptions, and a loss fumble on a sack strip. I had no problem with Tony Elliott starting Anthony Calandria uh, off what he did in UVA's previous game. The 36-35 loss to James Madison at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville, Virginia on September 9th. Calandry in that game, 20 of 26 for 377 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He did take four sacks, did quarterback a UVA offense that went just 4-13 on third downs, but he averaged a whopping 14.5 yards per pass attempt. He was named ACC Rookie of the Week. But was him starting over Tony Musket on Friday night an injury thing 
or a benching thing. In other words, did Tony Elliott essentially bench Tony Musket in favor of Anthony Calandria? Well, this was Tony Elliott during his post-game press conference on Friday night on Tony Musket, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Virginia football and Virginia Tech football insider Mike Barber of Richmond.com. Yes, he was he was available, um, and again, more in, a, in an emergency situation, uh, just you know, trying to to do what's best uh, for him, and just felt like a, another uh, another week without getting hit on it uh, would be uh, would be best for him. So Calandria started because Musket's health was iffy. Is that? You know, it was it was it was a decision for the program, right, and and also for Tony. And Tony could have went, uh, but he's still a little bit sore, and so I didn't didn't want to put him in that situation. Um, and then obviously, you know, Calandria played well, um, and so uh, that's that's the decision there for the for the long term, you know, uh, health of the season, and then also uh, for uh, for Tony Musket. Uh, he's not fully ready to go. Uh, then I don't I don't want to put him out there and risk you know taking another shot on the shoulder too early. All right, so Tony Elliott during his postgame press conference said that Tony Musket was available, but, quote, more in an emergency situation, end quote, and said that, quote, Tony could have went, but he's still a little bit sore, end quote. Okay, that makes what happened seem like more of an injury thing, but Elliott also called the decision to start Anthony Calandria over Musket, quote, a decision for the program, end quote. Interesting. A lot of Tonys in all of this, by the way. You have Tony Elliott, the UVA head coach, and you have as the two quarterbacks, Tony Musket and Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Calandria. But whatever the case, uh, how about Elliott all week making it seem like Musket would start, but then starting Calandria? The old bait and switch from Tony Elliott. Uh, I actually like that. I respect that. Uh, The Wahoos rushing offense on Friday night was decent. Running backs Paris Jones, Mike Collins, Kobe Pace, and Jack Greasy combined for 18 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. But the Hoos gave up a special teams touchdown for a second consecutive game and gave up a big play on special teams for a third time in as many games this season. The Hoos gave up that first quarter 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Braden Wislowski. The Hoos special teams have been a big problem so far this season and also a problem for the Hoos. What is happening to them in the fourth quarters of games? The Hoos on Friday night were outscored in the fourth quarter 21-0. They, through three games this season, have been outscored in fourth quarters 47-3. Remember, the Who's in that home loss to James Madison blew a 35-24 fourth quarter lead. Next up for Virginia, it's ACC opener, home to NC State this Friday night at 7.30. Well, like Virginia, Virginia Tech has quarterback uncertainty, if not a quarterback controversy. Uh, the Hokies fell to 1-2 and two with a 35-16 loss at Rutgers on Saturday. Uh, the loss actually snapped a 12-game winning streak for Tech against Rutgers. The two teams met annually from 1992 through 2003 when they were members of the Big East. Uh, the Hokies in this game trailed at the half 21-3. Uh, Hokies head coach Brent Pry went with Baylor transfer Kyron Drones as the team starting quarterback as the Hokies QB1, Grant Wells, uh, was dealing with an ankle injury. Pry, during his postgame press conference, said that Wells, quote, was an emergency guy, end quote. 
Uh, Drones was mixed at best. He went just 19 of 32 for just 190 yards, a touchdown and an interception, and took four sacks. He was effective as a runner, but he also had a lost fumble on a carry on the second offensive snap of the game. But not helping Kyron Drones was the Hokies being without two key receivers due to injury in Old Dominion transfer Ali Jennings and Middle Tennessee State transfer Jalen Lane, uh, each of whom got injured in Tech's 24-17 loss to Purdue at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on September 9th. Jennings' left foot was in a boot after that game. Lane suffered a hamstring injury. He was a game-time decision for this game at Rutgers, but ultimately did not play in the game. Tech is dealing with a good bit of injury right now, both in the team's receiving core and on defense. But this was Brent Pry during his post-game press conference on Saturday evening on how Kyron Drones played in this loss at Rutgers. Yeah, I would say inconsistent, um, but I think there's some really good things. You know, he, he made it hard uh, to defend him. I think he, he had some nice balls today. He did a really nice job running the ball. He did miss a few reads that I think left some plays on the field. Uh, his decision-making was pretty good. Uh, first college start, I think there'll be a lot to build from. Um, you know, so certainly some good things, but I think he would be the first to say a bunch of things we need to be better at. All right, and this was Brent Pride during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening on Grant Wells. Yeah, he was not able to play today. Yeah, he, he, he didn't practice a whole lot this week, but uh, he was an emergency guy. I tell you, the parallels between Virginia and Virginia Tech at quarterback right now are interesting. Each team's QB1 going into the season being out due to injury, but also not having been that good. And so you wonder if the QB2 going into the season is becoming the new QB1. Uh, The Hokies' rushing offense in this loss at Rutgers on Saturday was better than the Hokies' rushing offense was in the team's first two games of this season, but still not great. Running back and North Carolina A&T transfer, Bashal Tootin had 11 carries for 45 yards and a touchdown, but running back Malachi Thomas had five carries for just 12 yards. And Tech's defense on Saturday was bad against the run for a third time in as many games this season. The Hokies' run defense has been so bad so far this season. Tech allowed Rutgers to total 34 carries for 256 yards and four touchdowns. That works out to a yards per carry of 7.53. Tech allowed Rutgers running back Kyle Madungai to have 16 carries for 143 yards and three touchdowns. He averaged 8.94 yards per carry. And Tech allowed Rutgers quarterback Gavin Wimsett to have 11 carries for 87 yards and a touchdown. Tech did hold him to just 7-16 to 16 passing for just 46 yards, but also allowed him to have a touchdown pass and neither intercepted him nor sacked him. Uh, next up for Virginia Tech at Marshall this Saturday at noon. The best college football team in the state of Virginia last season was neither Virginia nor Virginia Tech. Is that again the case this season. Both Liberty and James Madison are three and doe. Uh, a big win for the Flames of Liberty. Uh, they won at Buffalo 55-27 on Saturday afternoon. Liberty put up 
569 total net yards of offense, averaged 8.75 yards per play. Liberty quarterback Caden Salter, a monster game, 16 to 26 for 344 yards, five touchdowns and no interceptions. He took just one sack. He officially had 10 carries for 66 yards and a touchdown. Caden Salter through week three, number 40 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR for this season. Uh, Next up for Liberty at FIU this Saturday evening at 6.30. And then with James Madison, the Dukes, uh, they won their Sunbelt Conference opener, a 16-14 win at the defending Sunbelt Conference champion, Troy, on Saturday night. The story of this game was JMU's defense, which held Troy to just 14 points and just three of 16 on third downs and totaled six sacks and 10 tackles for loss. Now, JMU itself went just 3 of 16 on third downs, but whatever. A terrific win for the Dukes. Uh, next up for James Madison at Utah State this Saturday night at 8. And oh, what could have been for Old Dominion. It fell to 1 and 2 with a 27 24 loss to Wake Forest at S.B. Ballard Stadium in Norfolk, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. We nearly had a big upset in this game. The Monarchs blew a 17-0 halftime lead and blew a 24-7 third quarter lead. Uh, They allowed Wake to score the game's final 20 points. How about this? ODU in the first half, 277 total net yards of offense. ODU in the second half, a mere 23 total net yards of offense. And ODU quarterback Grant Wilson in this game got sacked 10 times. Uh, Next up for Old Dominion, homecoming. Home to Texas A&M University Commerce this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Well, by the way, we over the last few days did have some Wizards news. Uh, They on Friday afternoon announced the re-signing of unrestricted forwards last center, Taj Gibson. Uh, He for the Wizards in the 2022-2023 NBA regular season played in 49 games with two starts. Uh, This coming season will be his age 38 season. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me. At Al Galdi, you can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 659. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders as we on Monday expect to have the day after the game press conference of head coach Ron Rivera off the wild. <laughs> 35-33 win at the Denver Broncos on Sunday for Washington's first two-and-0 start to a regular season since 2011. Uh, also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. The Nats on Monday night at 7.05 of Game 1 of a three-game series against the Chicago White Sox at Nationals Park. The O's on Monday night at 8.10 have Game 1 of a three-game series at the American League West-leading Houston Astros. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. That's two. That's two. That's two. And it's all on you guys, but there's one guy in here. He's got 100 wins. Whoa. One of only 50 coaches ever and one of only active coaches. Ron Rivera, man. Hey, thank you all for being part of this. It's really special just knowing that you guys all helped me get to where I am today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.